This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Okay, good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're uh, coming close to the end of the book of Romans. And the book of Romans uh, ends with an appeal to unity. Throughout the book, he's been trying to reconcile Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And um, this evening, he's talking to Jewish vegetarians. And I know that there's some background to that that I can't explain, but there were a lot of Jewish vegetarians in the church in Rome and they were offended when they saw the Gentiles eating meat. And the Gentiles were upset that the Jewish believers were judging them, and so they would eat meat in front of the Jewish believers intentionally uh, to show that they're free in Christ to do so. And Paul is saying to the Jewish believers, uh, stop being weak in the faith and stop judging the Gentile believers. And I'll explain more what he means by weak in the faith. And then Paul says to the Gentile believers, stop flaunting your freedom in Christ and eating meat in front of the Jewish believers. So that's the, um, that's the, that's the point of this passage this evening, uh, is first of all, to stop judging each other. Uh, and then second of all, he gives the reason for that, which is that uh, they belong to the Lord. They don't belong to each other, they belong to the Lord. So those two things, stop judging because we all belong to the Lord. So in verse one, Paul's actually writing to the Gentile believers more in this verse. He's telling them, accept other believers who are weak in the faith. And those will be the Jewish believers who have all these scruples about what you should and shouldn't do. So accept these people who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, there's something in our church we call the cone of certainty that does a lot of work for us here at Salem. And so if you can imagine uh, like an elf's hat, you know, like something that's like a cone... And at the top of that are very few things that we believe are absolutely certain. Those are what we call the gospel, which is that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son became a human being. That human being lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave for our sins, ascended into heaven, is is reigning at the right hand of God. That's the top of the cone, the gospel. And then there are very few of those things. And so as you come down, you get more uncertain. And at the bottom of the cone, there's a lot of things that are 50-50. So the weak Christian that he's talking to here, the Jewish believer in this case, but could be any believer, the people who are weak in the faith take all these things at the bottom and they elevate them to the top and they act like things like vegetarianism are critical, like absolutely critical to the gospel, are very, very important, are very, very certain. They know these things for certain. And it doesn't have to be vegetarianism. Things like uh, some believers insist on the fact that the the whole world was created in six literal days, which is fine to believe that, as long as it's t- towards the bottom of the cone of certainty. If you have that at the very top, 
I think Paul would call you a weak believer. Uh, same thing holds true of maybe something like the rapture, which I won't explain, but if you know what the rapture is, you know, maybe there's arguments for that, but I would say it's low on the cone of certainty. It should not be raised to the top. Or how to do children's ministry or what kind of worship to engage in, whether it's contemporary or not traditional. Low on the cone of certainty. We, the weak believer is the one that raises that to the top of the cone of certainty. And Paul is saying, stop judging each other. We're all trying our best. I love how he says in verse 6, those who eat any food do so to honor the Lord. So the Jewish people are doing it to honor the Lord. Don't judge them. Even though they're weak in the faith, don't judge them. And the Jewish believer, he says, to the people who are eating meat, don't judge them either. One example of this, and this is kind of a risky example, but cursing, okay? Some Christians curse. Some Christians never curse. And the ones that never curse generally think that if you do curse, you're sinning against God. And I would say most of the time, perhaps, but Paul the Apostle curses in the letter to the Philippians. Okay, so it's not, I don't believe it's always sinful. So if you're one of those people who think that it's always sinful to curse, then um, I would say that's weak in the faith. And yet, if you're someone who doesn't uh, believe that it's always sinful to curse, you shouldn't go and curse a lot in front of the person that doesn't think cursing's good. And that's what's going on here in Rome. Paul's saying to the The Gentiles don't go eat meat in front of the Jewish people, even though you're right that it's not sinful to eat meat. Don't don't do that. Verse 6, those who refuse to eat certain foods or who curse, uh, those who refuse to ever curse, um, they are trying to please the Lord. So both sides, he's saying to the Jews, "You're, you're trying to please the Lord. The Gentiles, you're trying to please the Lord. Don't judge each other. And Paul is so flexible here that it's, he almost sounds like a millennial. You know, you do you or um, do your own thing, uh, that kind of thing. Paul says in verse 14, uh, no food is actually wrong, but if someone believes it's wrong, then for them it's wrong. That's surprising to hear that, isn't it? That's in the Bible. And uh, if you know philosophy, that's called relativism, moral relativism. It's strange that Paul, it sounds like moral, it's actually not moral relativism. It's more like don't judge people because you don't know where they're coming from. And you don't, you don't know what wounds their conscience. So in another example, if you grew up on a farm, and I know that one of you grew up on a farm, and you actually killed cattle, then because you see uh, you know, the death of a cow is a very natural thing, eating meat is not a problem for you at all. It's just a natural part of life. Uh, your conscience is not wounded. It's fine to eat meat. But if you're someone that's done a lot of research on animal cruelty and the meat packing industry, and, you, and your conscience is wounded when you think about eating meat, then it's, for you, it's maybe wrong to eat meat. It's actually, it would be sinful for you to eat meat because of your, you would be wounding your conscience. So for this person, it's, it's not sinful to eat, but for this person, it is sinful to eat. Another example, I know somebody who had an abortion was very traumatized by that, and she was very pro-life because she thought that Abortion was terrible because she had had one. It was horrible for her. And so for her to have voted for a Democrat might have been sinful because she was so convinced of pro-life. That was her backstory. That's where she was coming from. I know another guy who works with immigrants in North Carolina with rural immigrants, and he is so aware of the rights of immigrants being trampled and they're, um, they're being oppressed in many cases by the people who hire them that he could not vote for a Republican because he sees them as not protecting immigrants. So for him, it would actually be sinful to vote 
for Republicans. So the first person sinful to vote for Democrat, second person sinful to vote for Republican. Paul's saying it all depends on the background. Don't judge each other. There are some of you who could not in good conscience vote for a liberal, and there are some of you that could not in good conscience vote for a conservative, and that's fine. Paul's saying just don't judge each other because you don't know the background. You don't know where someone's coming from. And this also applies, by the way, to judgmental people. Paul is also saying don't judge judgmental people and say they're very narrow-minded or, you know, they have all these, these, um, these things that they're, have these, um, they can't get over these things. They're self-righteous. It's very tempting to judge judgmental people. And Paul's saying don't do that either because you don't know what they've been through. Instead of, judging, instead of judging them, ask them questions, be curious about their life, try to figure out why they believe these things. And most of all, he says, assume the best about each other. Assume that one another are trying to please the Lord. Verse 6, those who eat food do so to honor the Lord, and those who don't eat them also do so to please the Lord. So he's appealing to all of us not to judge. And here's the main reason why, because we all belong to the Lord. We, are, we don't belong to each other, we belong to the Lord. That's point two. Verse eight, we belong to the Lord. And uh, he goes on to say, we belong to the Lord who died and rose again for us. I was uh, waiting for a family member this week to come out of the house and I had to be somewhere at eight and it was 7.05. We had to go eat before we got to this place. I had to be at eight. And this member of my household was really dragging their feet. And it was very annoying. So I went out to the car just to show them, you know, I'm going to the car. So I get in the car and I realize, well, now what do I do? Because they're in there. I can't yell at them. So I call them on the phone. They don't pick up. I FaceTime them. They still don't pick up. And I start judging them terribly in my heart because for me, punctuality is, is very high on the cone of certainty. You know, wrongly so, but it's very high on the cone of certainty. So I am cursing them in my head. I'm fuming about them. And I kind of feel the Lord Jesus put his hand on my shoulder and like say, you know, they're not yours to judge. They belong to me. And they are out of your jurisdiction. They belong to the Lord. And not only do they not belong to me, but I don't even belong to me. I love how Paul says, we, we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. Not only... Do you not belong to me? Not only are you not in my jurisdiction, but I'm not even in my jurisdiction. I cannot even judge myself. We've got to be careful about not only judging other people, but about judging ourselves. Because the kingdom of God is a family of people who have been you know, radically repurposed for the sake of God. I, I went on the internet and typed in repurpose because I know there's this movement of repurposing things. And you can take like old boots that are really ugly and worn out and paint them and make them into flower pots and put them in your yard. That's called repurposing. Or uh, I saw another one where they took old rickety ladders and they made a bookshelf, a really beautiful bookshelf out of these ladders. And in many ways, our lives have all been repurposed. He took these old things and he made them into these beautiful objects, these pieces of art, poems for God. It says, the kingdom of God is not our matter of what we eat or drink or whether we curse or vote Democrat or Republican, or whether we take a long time to get ready or don't take any time to get ready. The kingdom of God is about none of those things, but it is about life and goodness and peace in the Holy Spirit because he has repurposed us. He is, the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a Christian and he makes us a new creature in Christ. 
I met this guy this week. He might be here, and he'd be very embarrassed by this story. But um, he was he was radically repurposed for the Lord. I had met few people like this. Um, I've met him twice, and both times he introduced himself as, hey, I was saved 18 months ago. Like, that's how he introduces himself. I was saved 18 months ago, which is a beautiful thing as a way of introducing yourself. I, I am the Lord's, you know, and, I, and he was so happy about it. And we were taking a walk, and he was quoting all the scripture. He was so happy. And I said, how is it that in 18 months you have been this radically transformed and know that much scripture? And he literally leapt in the air and he clapped his hands. He was like, yes, yes, yes. And I just thought, that's an amazing depiction of life in the Holy Spirit. Um, That knowledge and love of God's word combined with that kind of passion for God is beautiful to see. And, And the expression of that, that person has been repurposed by God for goodness, life, peace, and the Holy Spirit. That can take a lot of different expressions, a lot of different cultural expressions. The kingdom of God is not a matter of any culture. It's not an American thing. It's not a Jewish thing. The kingdom of God includes the, uh, you know, the primitive Baptist church in the mountains that does an altar call every week. And it also includes the, the Catholic mass in Latin America where they would never even think about an altar call. So these very radically different kinds of worship. The kingdom of God is life, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in both of these places, in, in the mountains of North Carolina or in Guatemala City. You know, the, the kingdom of God includes the Day of the Dead, which you might experience in Mexico if you're there, or Mardi Gras if you're in New Orleans. Both of these things, the kingdom of God. You know, life, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. It takes many different cultural expressions. We are not to judge these things. The kingdom of God is a mega church with a $90,000 soundboard, and it's a house church where anyone gets to preach. And I am very tempted to judge both of those things, but, but life, joy, goodness, and peace in the Holy Spirit are found in both places. And so we are not allowed to judge because there's only one judge. And it says in verse 11 that every knee will bow, American and Chinese, every single knee, every tongue will confess, Jewish tongue, Syrian tongue, every tongue will confess that, that, that Jesus is Lord and judge. It says in verse 10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And that's good news. And he will not be asking for our help. We will not be helping him. We will not be his consultant. And he will judge everyone according to their backstory and what's happened to them and all the things he knows about them. He will judge them in a way that we can't imagine. And the only judge will be Jesus. He will be the only judge. And if you believe in him, then your judgment actually has already taken place at this table that we're about to celebrate. Because the table, the, the Lord's Supper, is actually an enacting of the last judgment before it happens. Because at the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus says, I judge you as guilty, and I pay for your guilt with the shedding of my blood. I take all of your punishment on myself. So the judgment occurs there. And not only does he say, I take all your guilt, he says, here's all my righteousness.